Hi, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. And welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. It's week 89, that's one year, nine months, and one week since the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. And it's really, we're really lucky that we're finished with the whole COVID uh, panic and uh, scares, aren't we, Anne? And, yeah, it's uh, great. It's, it's great. Really it great. only took two weeks, and I don't know why we're still talking about it. Anyway, what else is on the show today, Anne? And social media still want to suppress the truth about the Hunter Biden and Biden family. Yep, it's unbelievable. One year after, uh, one year after it was aired, one of our podcasts that features Mr. Hunter Biden and his various misdemeanors and crimes, high crimes and misdemeanors, has been banned by YouTube. Um, so it, uh, so we will bring you the details on that, and we have exciting news talking to that about our My Son Hunter movie, the movie that you're funding to help expose those very. Biden family crimes and Biden family corruption. And later we're going to be joined by our friend, the data expert, Justin Hart, who reveals the truth behind the COVID hysteria to talk about how to pronounce Omicron. And if we even need to learn to pronounce Omi, Omicron, Omicron. Yes. And the New York Times explains why people are moving to Texas. And you might find their conclusions rather surprising. Yes. uh, Not so much a conclusion as more of a a ball-faced lie. But anyway, we'll get to that. And the greatest photo of the 20th century is an amazing surprise. And George Fox, the liar behind the fake Gasland fake documentary, is against capitalism, of course, uh, for everyone else except himself. So we'll, 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 we'll be examining his anti-capitalist credentials later on. So YouTube, um, hmm. um, we have our podcast uh, video uh, 64, Podcast 64, which the title is Hunter Biden's Emails, Fracking and Obamagate co-writer Brian Godawa joins us. So it's about Obamagate, uh, it's about Hunter Biden, and it's about fracking. And YouTube have banned it. YouTube have removed it. Uh, because what, did, what did we do wrong, Philip? I think it violates harassment, threats, and cyberbullying policy. Topcat, do you think... Do you think we, would you call me a harasser, a threater, a threatener, or a cyberbullier? You look at Mr. Topcat. There's no way that that's true. Right, Topcat? Oh, Topcat. Let him speak. Let him speak. <laughs> Go on then. Tell us Tell us what they said then. They said, we know this is a p- disappointing, but it's important to us that YouTube is a safe place for all. If content breaks our rules, we remove it. If, we, if you think we've made a mistake, you can appeal and we'll take another look. They, they just don't tell us how, how it violated the policy. Kind of an interesting one, actually. So, the, yeah, so you get a, these violations, you know, threatened, yes. uh, thrown at you. And then if you were to try to be good, you don't even know where you went wrong. Yes. Because they don't tell you. Yeah. So then we we appealed. Appeal. We appealed. And we've, we have reviewed your appeal for the following content. This the, is what they video said. number 64, podcast 64, Hunter Biden's emails. This is a year ago, by the way. Fracking and Obamagate's co-writer Brian Godawa joins us. And we've reviewed your content carefully and confirmed that it violates our harassment, threats, and it took them two days to review it, by the way, and cyberbullying policy. So again, very, um, very... And interesting, how this affects your channel, we won't be putting your content back up on YouTube. If, you, if your appeal was for a warning, you will not be given another warning in the future. If your appeal was for a strike, the strike will remain on your channel. So basically what they're saying is, you know, uh, you, you do this again, but you won't tell you what you're doing. Then we're going to basically ban you from YouTube. This is what we're up against. This is why we're making the Hunter Biden movie, actually, because YouTube and Twitter uh, and all the other social media outlets got together to ban any mention of the Hunter Biden scandal in the run up to the last election. Uh, that's how the re- the election was rigged. The New York Post had his laptop, had all his emails, covered it all. They stopped it being sent around. They stopped it being uh, circulated. They suppressed the story. And then the other media outlets uh, supported that and didn't investigate the Hunter Biden story. You know it's true because they didn't, they didn't try and debunk the Hunter Biden story because you know that once they tried to debunk it, it would be shown to be true. So that's that's the bad news. So that's that's the bad news. But here's the really good news. We're fighting back and yes. we're getting this story out to people. And uh, how you know, here's really good news. We have actually now managed to reach over $2 million in donations from you for this project because people like you feel really strongly that something really terrible happened here in the suppression of this story yeah. prior to the election. Um, it's it's like a first in American history. And don't forget. And people, and people really, really feel bad about it. So we have now raised over two million dollars and by the way money is coming in because obviously as you know this week was giving tuesday i know a lot of you gave and we are so grateful to you and those of you who didn't give and forgot to give 
there's still time yet. Yeah. So don't forget, this is a movie, uh, and it's a it's a it's a movie with actors with and Robert Davi is directing it. Uh, the the great movie legend is directing it. Lawrence Fox is playing Hunter Biden. Gina Carano is in it, which is amazing uh, that we, we get actors of this caliber. Uh, John James, who played Jeff Colby in Dynasty, he he's playing Joe Biden. There's amazing. a picture. There's a picture of him. He, he just grew. We were just back from filming in Serbia. He grew into the role in such an amazing way. It's a great movie. Um, thank you very much for helping us reach the the two million. Uh, milestone. Uh, but also as we come to the end of the year, I mean, just one other thing we wanted to say in general about our work, and you know the work that we do, the, all the things that we've done, particularly, you know, things to do with like the Gosnell movie and the, and, and the Gosnell book, about stories out about fracking, about the energy issue. Um, and we do it because of help from you and this podcast, which we produce every week. Um, we cannot do it without your help. And it's coming to the end of the year. So maybe you've had a good year. I hope you have. And if you have, you want to not be giving too much money to the IRS and you want to maybe give a little bit more to us. And, and you can do that. We're a tax, we're a tax deductible 501c3. So it's... How, on, how, do, on, pe- how do people give money? People on? can give very easily online to the unreportedstorysociety.com, unreportedstorysociety.com. We're a very small 501c3, but my God, we do really big things. Um, you know, our projects are very, very big. So... Um, what, whatever you can do to help, yeah. would be so. So grateful. yeah, as as Anne saying last week was uh, this week was Giving Tuesday, uh, but we accept donations every day of the year, oh, yeah, and, it's, and it's always giving someday. Here the the Hunter Biden fashion. project is 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 a two point five million project. We've raised two million now. It's an amazing amount of money. It's it's great, but we do need do need your help. So please give what you can. Go to the unreportedstorysociety.com or go to mysonhunter.com as well. Which, uh, yes, exactly. That'll take you to the same place, mysonhunter.com. It'll take you to the movie. If you, and uh, what and else, we're gonna, is, so what now else we're, is on the show, Anne? So now we're going to go over to the, the interview we did earlier with Justin Hart, our friend Justin Hart, who has, you know, who, you know, is a data guy, but through this pandemic became this superstar uh, by, by being a guy who just looked at the facts of what was being reported about what was going on with, uh, with infections, with cases. And he found some anomalies. He found some things that just well, made no, absolutely no sense. No, no become, sense from a data point of view. He, 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 he took the data and looked at what people were saying the data meant. He was going, the data doesn't mean that. that the data doesn't back up anything you've said. So, and, and that had very serious consequences for society and and for freedom. So let's go over to the interview that we did earlier with him and hear the latest about the Omicron, Omicron and why, whether we should be scared of Omicron and whether we're going to need a new Greek alphabet. So now we are joined by our friend, Justin Hart. Justin is a, a data expert uh, who became an, uh, an un, kind of an, un, unlikely COVID truth warrior. An, accident, an accidental COVID celebrity. Yes, <laughs> just by trying to match the data with the measures that are being taken and finding the, the 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 gaps in knowledge and the gaps in 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 justification for what was happening given the data so um we wanted to start by asking you about the latest crazy thing but first of all welcome justin thanks you guys great to be with you yeah covid took away my entire consulting uh clientele uh who were all very leisure based i was doing data analytics and dashboards from so uh, I hope they'll forgive me if I stick it to them by using their lockdowns to make myself even more successful, because uh, I'm not going to stand for it. Uh, you know, they, there was that moment in time when we were all stuck inside. Our, our plows were, if you will, out in the field, and they were not allowing us to get to them, uh, or for that matter, to go wakeboarding on the, the ocean with uh, in Huntington Beach or what have you. Yep. They padlocked by kids. Uh, favorite swing at their park. And so uh, I just, I, I just had enough. I'm not, I was in a lucky position where I had nothing to lose. So stuck my yeah. neck out uh, because the data didn't hold up to what they were saying. It still doesn't. Uh, and yet the panic, uh, as you can see over the weekend was very prominent and uh, it's, it's old hat now. Well, yeah. So that, I mean, just you're talking about padlocking your child's swing. When I was growing up, I mean, the camera crews from all over the world used to go to a place called Ballymena where the local town council would padlock the children's swings on Sundays uh, to stop children playing on a Sunday. And this was viewed as, as the ultimate cruelty and the ultimate uh, Neanderthal thinking by these people. Uh, it, was a religi- it was a religious it thing. It was biblical-based that you couldn't do it on Sunday. But here we have uh, people padlocking children's swings, and they're hailed as progressive heroes. 
Uh, and uh, and as Justin says, arresting a guy who was out who was out surfing, you know, in Huntington yeah, Beach, I think, exactly. or whatever. So right. as you you mentioned over the weekend, so we we were saying, do uh, how do we pronounce Omicron, and do we need to know how to pronounce Omicron? I need to get like my voice changer going and pronounce it like you would, you know, a transformer Decepticon. There actually is a transformer Decepticon called Omicron. Omicron. Oh, God. And of course, you know, these are the, the Greek alphabet uh, sequences that they've come up with. By the way, after they're done with the Greek letters, and they will be, they're going on to the constellations. So that should oh. be interesting to see how they treat all of those elements there. But they, well, but I, they, I'm hang really, on. I'm, they, really, I'm really worried about, uh, about you know, Uranus. Yeah. The Uranus uh, strain. Well, no, I'm actually very worried about the fact that those, um, because, you know, we, we really hate, um, discrimination and i believe that some letters of the greek alphabet have been discriminated against yep. in this that's a great way naming. to put it you know and of course they they didn't want to use uh new and you which is actually pronounced n-e-e -E, uh and i speak a little bit of russian and polish so my cyrillic is a little bit rough and it's not greek cyrillic but the the z has its own pronunciation too but they skipped over z of course uh, because of our, our great chairman over at the CCP, they didn't want to you know, make that uh, a thing. As one of my good friends on Twitter, Sean Davis, noted out, every variant is a Z variant. Let's just be clear <laughs> about that, right? Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, people need to remember this. This came from China. This came from Wuhan, where there's the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, uh, this, the Chinese lied about this virus for months, stopping the rest of us from trying to work out what was going on. Um, so as you say, every variant is a Chinese comment. Yeah, the, uh, the, the Babylon Bee, which is the best satire site on the, the internet, the onion can take a, a bath for all I care. They had a great note, which was, uh, white smoke is seen above the laboratory at Wuhan, indicating that a successful naming of the next variant has been made. Oh, very good, very good. So what do we know about Om Omnicron? Om o o Omicron, Omicron. There's, uh, let's get this right, guys. You see, gotta, I told you, know. I, I said we needed to talk to you about how to pronounce it. So look, the, the, the issue is that this first started or we first saw the hints of these in Botswana. Now, the way that they do this is it's like a genealogical tree. I don't know if any of you have done like Ancestry.com uh, or something like that, where you've taken your DNA and done an examination of you know everything that's come before. And I've done that. I'm like 37%. Uh, British, uh, I've got a lot of Scandinavian, uh, and, and but they the way they do that, right, is they go out to Ireland, they go out to Scotland, they go out to uh, Germany, and they take samples of a thousand people of their DNA, they sequence them, and then they say, oh, these people have these markers in this unique order, and therefore they come from this geographic location. Well, you could do the same thing with the variants. Now, not with the virus, let's be clear, with the disease, right? Because it's very hard to catch the virus and sequence that. So what they do is they say, okay, well, let's let's find people who have um, specimens of the disease and they capture them and look at them and say, okay, well, I see that this genetic markings have uh, this attribution and we think that the spike protein is modified this way. And so they do a lot of stuff for laboratory analysis. And that's what brought people's concern is that there were a, a bunch of little pegs in the spike protein that were modified and they weren't quite sure, you know, that had mutated over time. And they weren't quite sure if that indicated whether it was more susceptible, more transmissible, more lethal, what have you. So this is all based on two cases in Botswana and basically several dozen cases out of South Africa. And meanwhile, once they got uploaded to the database, everyone started looking at it. Now, there is one difference, which is why this is going to be in the headlines for a very long time, okay. in that you can specify the, the, the genetic sequencing of the disease and of the virus is lengthy. It takes a bit of time to get the, all that sequenced out. And it takes at least a matter of days to sort of crank one of those out. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's, but it's, it's not an instantaneous thing. Whereas they've figured out a way from the PCR test, that awful, awful testing that keeps us all wrapped around uh, the news wires as to how many cases there are the next day. They figured out that if there's an absence of a specific marker in that PCR test, it indicates that it is the Omicron. So we'll be able to find this Omicron everywhere if it starts spreading, right? In which case they'll have headlines from here to eternity. And who knows, as Dr. Fauci said over the weekend, everything is on the table. Uh, President Biden just hours ago indicated that uh, we're not there to lockdowns yet, but he just encouraged people 
to vax up and get boosted up. Uh, my guess is within the next week or two that they'll be changing the definition of fully vaccinated so that uh, in the new year, uh, you can join anyone who's been vaccinated, can join their great unwashed brothers and sisters among the great cases of the unvaccinated. Because if you don't have a booster, you will be noted as unvaccinated. Yes. Oh, God. That's and we know, um, uh, Justin, you have a small family of eight, and um, some of them obviously have are, are grown, but some of them are still in the educational system, and you're down there in San Diego. What's the scene? And I know you've spoken at some of the school board meetings. What's happening with your children now? What What's the scene? Well, our 13-year-old, we have uh, just a few at home here, four at home, and, and uh, three of them are under the age of five. So... Uh, the 13-year-old who goes to a private school, and that private school, eh, they haven't quite uh, you know, gotten the gumption to fight anything. They're hoping it goes away. They will basically do whatever the state and the county tells them to do. Now, as of Monday, according to the San, the, the San Diego Unified District, anyone over the age of 16 must be fully vaccinated, but a judge just put a stay to that. And so if we can find exemptions, and there are currently abilities in California, at least on law, uh, but they've since, you know, sort of pulled that back to use a personal or a religious exemption to get out of vaccinating your child. Now, uh, each of these vaccinations will come into play because California is one of the only states that says we're going to vaccinate as soon as it becomes, as soon as it comes out of EUA status. So I expect for 12-year-olds, that will take place uh, at least by 2022. Uh, and for those younger, uh, it'll play, take place shortly after that. And this is really sad because we have mandated vaccines, of course. Uh, I've gotten my, my kids, my young children who are in preschool, I've gotten them vaccines before. But those vaccines have been around for six to 20 years. In fact, we have never, ever in California mandated a vaccine that is younger than six years or even 16 to 20 years. Uh, it has to have been on the market for that long before we feel comfortable giving that approval. Yes, the vaccine has been tested on tens of thousands of people, but there is, there is no sort of substitute. There's no cliff notes. There's no shortcut for the time factors involved with the impact a potentially new vaccine approach has yeah. on a mass of individuals there. What, and I mean, have, what are you going to do? Are you, I mean, are you, are you like a lot of us thinking we're going to have to leave California because of these mandates? Um, or, or is that on the table at all? Or my, my wife is looking up uh, property values in Florida uh, every other day. Yeah. Um, and this is tough. She is, uh, I go back three or four generations in the Bay Area. Uh, my parents are still up there. Uh, she goes back to the 1800s here in California. And so it'd be a very difficult thing for us to leave our home yeah. state. Um, but, you know, if, if they basically mandate this towards our kids, uh, I, I want to say, you know, I'm, I'm always an optimist type and I like to save California, but there are lots of indicators that it can't be saved yes. uh, and that they will continue that hardline um, notion to keep you at bay. Uh, and look, that's a very difficult thing. Even our preschool, our kids preschool, an amazing, amazing group of people who have chosen that they can give parents the option to uh, get their kids uh, unmasked or not. Now, that's uh, technically against state rules. Anyone over the age of two has to be masked at these preschools, which is horrendous. Our teachers know it. Our administrators know it, especially for that young. As one of our teachers told us, and she has to still wear a mask, at least technically, but we know that they, they try to take it off as much as possible. Where she says, try teaching a kid how to pronounce the letter H through a mask, right? Uh, and literally, I saw my kid's teacher's face for the first time the other day at a special Thanksgiving friend's dinner there, friend's lunch there. And I was like, oh, you're a lot younger than I expected. And it's just, it's terrible to not have that yeah. interaction yeah. with parents yeah. and kids. And the state licensing board in California has threatened our school. They have threatened to shut down the preschool and multiple preschools here in the San Diego area, unless they mask up kids. We put a shot across their bow. They've shut up for now, but that other shoot could be dropping. And that's really difficult. And so what's happening? So... Is Omicron, Omicron, I mean, are they going to, is that going to, is there going to be a new Omicron next year? And are we, you know, what, what, what way do you see this going? Uh, how are they going to keep this going? And, and, and what's in it for them? Well, I think the idea is uh, there's, there are a lot of incentives to sort of keep it going, right? Um, I, I think uh, a lot of them don't sit around and just like, you know, oh, I'm so excited. But there is a good uh, contingent of supporters in their 
uh, amongst their electorate, right? Amongst the people that elect them that are very keen on, on virtue signaling. This is a dream for them, right? Where they, they have this ability to, um, to show wounds, to show that they are supportive, to show that they, uh, that they care, an outward care. sign of an inward faith, right? With the masks and everything else. And so it's almost a religious type of thing. And the politicians hear a lot from those folks, and especially on the left, all they hear is more lockdowns, more shutdowns, keep me safe. And of course, the news media feeds that by yeah. saying this is the worst disease ever and your kids could die. When they did a survey of Republicans and Democrats and they asked Democrats how many, you know, what percentage of people who get COVID go to the hospital? And like a third of them said a half of them, half of them will all go to the hospital. Like, no, it's it's like less than three or four percent. Right. And how many people will die? Well, one out of 10 will die. No, no, it's 100 times lower than that. What's going on? Right. Yeah. And so when the media feeds that and the media is incentivized to keep it going, the Omicron, you saw it over the weekend. It was you know, the, the, like the South, uh, South African press and the media or the South African actually leadership there are dumbfounded. They're like, how yeah. did you guys take what we said? And run with it like it's the apocalypse. Yes. The 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 you know the what was the governor of New York shutting things down for elective surgeries. It makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And the lady who identified it, the doctor who identified it in South Africa, is uh, is kind of as you said, is kind of aghast. And she's saying it's actually the symptoms are really mild, uh, and she's she's she can't understand it at all. I mean, it's um it, it's frightening. You know, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, we people's we, incentives are are aligned towards this continuing on, and that's a very very difficult thing to overcome especially when you know 70 percent of the population is vaccinated against this thing and i think here's what's really driving a lot of people not to stand up they've sacrificed so much right putting their kids in masks pulling them out of schools shutting down their businesses not going to the gym gaining weight all those things right to come out now and admit that masks don't work lockdowns don't work this virus was not the apocalypse they thought. Yes. That takes a lot of saving face. And yeah. I think a lot of people aren't up for that. I agree with you. Uh, but and, and funny, we were we were at a wedding in, in um, Palm Springs this past weekend, and I just saw a little child, I would say, I would say less than two, around two years old, outside at the pool wearing a mask. Heartbreaking. The other thing that I thought was very disturbing over the weekend was I, I'm sure you saw that, that Switzerland allowed, you know, I think the only country in the world so far that threw it back at the people and said, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to continue with this? And guess what? I was really disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Huge majority, um, of, overwhelming majority of people said, yes, we want this. We want mandates. We want lockdowns. We want all of that. And I, because I've often wondered through all of this, you know, that if they asked people, um, and I think a lot of countries don't want to ask people, um, and I've Places like Australia. I wonder what would happen if they asked people in Australia what they think. And Austria, where I'm, I, Austria is Austria the worst place in the world now. I mean, are people are people moving to other countries or what's happening? It's it's crazy there. Yeah, you see these pictures of uh, of policemen beating uh, unmasked uh, protesters, right? And someone captured on top of that, I'm doing this for your health, right? Yes. And it's like, what what are we doing here? This is insane. And I think. Um, there is unfortunately a large contingent of people who who like this motif and want to yes. see it continued. Uh, look, it, it, and it's a the lockdowns themselves are nonsense. Uh, it, think about the two main features that we know lead to exacerbated severe disease and death with COVID, which is one obesity and two. We knew this early on a lack of vitamin D. You know that Dr. Fauci takes 10,000 milligrams of vitamin D a day and never told anyone about that until like this January, right? Wow. So we know that it's a critical keeping up your vitamin D levels, which of course you usually do naturally through the sun. So whose stupid policy was it to stick us all inside away from the sun, eating takeout so we all get fat and then letting us out to face the virus? It's nonsense upon nonsense and, and really... That's why uh, I was really sad to see Dr. You know, Atlas be kicked out of the White House. And of course, President Trump lost because he was not an epidemiologist. He was not a virologist. He was a darn good health policy guy, right? Yes. The science is one thing. And by the way, the science is not Dr. Fauci. But applying that science over to health policy is a completely different matter because there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. 
And the terrible trade-offs, we're going to have to call attention to those again and make sure that people have that at the ready to talk about the 50% of cancers that were missed in the spring because people didn't get diagnosed. Up in Canada, we have brain tumors that are in stage three and four for kids because those kids didn't get the help they needed because the parents were so scared to take them to the hospital. Mm -hmm. We have massive overdose and, uh, and suicides from that uh, effort there, the fentanyl overdoses that are coming. Everything is just pointing towards this disaster that the lockdowns perpetrated. And I think coming into the midterms, we just need to remind people of those elections. The only reason you and I aren't masked right now talking to each other by law in California is because of the recall election. It was the one benefit there. It kept him at bay when we had that small little curve there. And the numbers tell me here in the next two weeks or so, we're going to see that upturn in California because this is a seasonal virus and who knows what he's going to do then. Well, I mean, I looked at the figures and we'll put that graph up now. The New York Times has a, has a map of, of, of a hot state. And, yes. Uh, you remember back when Ron DeSantis was killing everybody in Florida? It was red. And now the red is in Michigan and they're not talking about it at all. But Florida is the color where they have no cases. Yeah, or no yeah. and no death. Because it's seasonal, because it's an indoor virus. And in Florida in the summer, you're indoor. In Florida in the winter, you're outdoor. Yeah, and look, the, the vaccines, as I always say, if you're over 60 or you have some type of issues, statistically it shows that it can actually help you stave off severe disease. There's just <laughs> enough data to tell us that. Now, there are other repercussions you have to be concerned about, but if you're in the older age brackets, it's actually probably more of a risk to face uh, it head on, but we have a lot of therapeutics. But beyond that, right, we know that the vaccination rates are very high in specific areas. The highest rate right now is in Vermont, and they're having the yes. highest hospitalizations and the highest cases they've ever seen because the vaccines have a personal benefit. You might be able to stave off severe disease, but they do not have any, they have a very limited, I should say, public benefit. They do not seem to stop the curves at all. And this is something that they've all admitted because, of course, they're going for boosters. They're going for cocktails. They'll be yes. booster three, four. You'll have a punch card. You'll have a subscription to Pfizer. Oh, that will keep you alive for the rest of your life. Yes. A little oh, bit of God. Soma, you know, in oh. your hand to, to keep going. Okay, Justin, I love, love talking to you. Where can people find you and find more of the great work that you're doing? Well, we have a website called rationalground.com. We also have a substack called COVID Reason. And of course, you can find this all mostly on my Twitter account. Yes. Justin underscore Hart is my Twitter account. We've got a lot of stuff going. We've got a new podcast on the app called Call In. We've also got a couple events coming up. This next weekend, we're going to be in New Hampshire. One of our original Rational Ground people, uh, Emily uh, Burns is running for Congress of all things in Massachusetts, and she's running completely on a platform of take off the masks of our kids oh, and uh, stop the lockdowns. And so we're going to be supporting her this coming weekend and having a, a rational ground meeting out there. You can find that there. And then there may or may not be a, a book in the works. So we'll see. What's uh -huh. going on. Okay. I hear, so I hear something. Um, what's the name of your podcast again? Uh, it's called Rational Ground, and it's at the app called Colin, C A L L I N. C-A-L-L-I-N. Okay. okay, we'll put them up on our show notes. Thank you so yeah. much for talking to us today, Justin. This Thank is great. you, guys. Nice. Take care. All the best. Bye. Well, that was a great interview. So, Anne, you have a story about people moving to Texas. So this is a fantastic story I read in the New York Times this past weekend. I just love it. So the headline caught my eye because obviously we know, living in California, that everyone is moving to Texas. And the headline was, everyone's moving to Texas. Here's why. So the traumas of the past, I'm just read the first paragraph actually, the traumas of the past few years have rearranged all of our lives. Many Americans have new needs, new desires, new possibilities and new priorities. They're looking for bigger homes, second homes or any home at all. They're searching for work, whatever, whatever. So we're here to help. First we gathered data. So he basically, you know, where are people going? Here's what, so here's what they decided to do in the New York Times. So the first thing they did was, we started out with a list of 16,847 places that have a population of more than 1,000 people. Because you wouldn't want to live anywhere with less you than wouldn't. Fair, By the way, I have no, we have zero issue with that. And we can see the map that they create there, right? And so the places, you know, the, the whole bunch of places comes up. The next thing they do is they look at places where I narrowed my search to places with lower unemployment and higher median incomes. And I love this yeah. because nobody wants to move to a place where all the businesses are closing. It's and I'm thinking, now that's hilarious, right? 
you know, and I mean, there's a million stories just in that paragraph. Yes. That so they're, and, that, by, and guess what they don't do in this story? They don't tell you about places where businesses are closing and why, and they're, why closed. they're closing. But also, that I'm not sure that's the reason why he's going somewhere with low unemployment and high median incomes. You know that that's because that's those are really nice upper middle class places. Also, exactly. You know. What's his second priority? So, he first priority was he wanted to go to a place where people were paid properly and where, where people were paid more than the average. Actually, sorry, and where there's very low unemployment. And then the second really important. And by the way, can I say that Magda is very smart? Like she's smarter than the average. But she's not smarter than the people who work in the New York Times. Because you know the reason? Because you know the reason. And I mean, of course, everyone... Sorry, can I just say, everyone watching here is going to know this. Because, you know, because you're so smart, right? The second important reason to move to, to from California to Texas is lower climate risk, Magda. Lower climate risks. Next, I went looking for places that seemed more likely to be spared the worst of climate change's ravages in contrast to my current home state of california uh, can i just say anyone who says that california is experiencing climate change ravages can you tell me if there if there are an increase in fires recently which there are not there were more in the 20s and 30s but has anything changed in the last anything else changed in the last 10 or 15 years have they changed how they manage the forests hmm. have they changed how they manage the fire risk when an article tells me gives me those the data points about the 20s and 30s and has anything changed about how they manage the forest? I will take seriously the fact that they're saying that there's an increased climate risk and in can California. I say, and can I say as well, you know the way in Ireland you might, you know, back in the day, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't throw a stick anywhere in Ireland without hitting a pub. By the way, I think it's probably still the same. You can't throw a stick in California without hitting an environmentalist. Like, that's actually, that's statistically true. So this is a place coming down with environmentalists and yet, here the environmentalists seem to be unable to keep the... What is... what? Hmm. And they have a massive wildfire problem yes. that is increasing. But of course, it's climate change, you see. So everything that the, every, everything's climate change. Could be, it could be actually an, an increase in environmentalists. I think... Uh, funny, fi- funny, that's, that's just, one of the reasons why he likes moving to Texas, is there's less environmentalists. Oh, you'd be throwing a stick a long time in a lot of parts of Texas now mm. before you'd ever hit an environmentalist. But, but the idea that this is the second reason that anyone, apart from this guy... I mean, by the way, he's not. This is not the reason he wants to move to. Magda now is laughing. By the way, can I just say? But he's but making she's it up. Like, apparently, yeah, tornadoes. she's talking about tornadoes there, and I mean, you know, of course, no and, uh, well, apparently, tornadoes are now caused by climate change. So. Everything's caused by climate change. The next very important reason is rich racial diversity. Racial diversity. Lots, Rachel, of, lots of different types of Rachels. Like a lot of Americans, I also want to live in a place that's racially diverse. Oh, racially, I thought racially diverse. So the places that have a lot of best matches, just let me finish this. Best Best matches for racial diversity. I love this, by the way, right? When you think of the way that Texas is described by people, Plano, Texas, Irvine, Texas, McKinley, Texas, Frisco, Texas, Elk Grove, California, never been there, Carlton, Texas, and Richardson, Texas. The best matches in the country for racial diversity, racial racial diversity, are in Texas. Okay, the next really important thing to him, you know, way down the list, affordability. Finally, and he says it himself. Now, Magda, I'm going to go way out on a limb here and say that I think that he actually got the whole thing, uh, as they say in Ireland, very politely, arse ways. So, in fact, affordability and things to do with money would be very high on most people's list, right? Well, also there's things he's not talking about, like crime. Oh, we're not going to get there yet. Finally, I filtered out places with high housing prices. I'm fed up with my state's impossible cost of living. Now, I would love to ask him a question here. I'd love to ask this fella here now. Why do you think, who do you think is responsible for the impossible cost of living in California? Would I'd it, love to know who's would it blaming. Be, would it be the large number of environmentalists in I think California it could be large who, that won't allow you to build anything? You know, it's very funny, though. He doesn't go there. But as you say, one of the things that gets really little, and then at the bottom, once I'd begun, once I had put in all my priorities, I was left with a list of cities and towns near Dallas that checked all my boxes. I was starting to see why so many people are moving to Texas. Can I just tell us, tell everyone here, we have two sets of friends. Well, we've got lots of sets of friends who've moved to Texas, but just two that come to mind. Recently. Recently. And one, I can tell you, Brian, I'm looking at you. Uh, I don't think... Brian, I would challenge whether any of those were high on Brian's list, by the way, well, of what he just mentioned. I, I think, uh, I remember he lived up by, uh, let's just say, the, the middle of, of L.A. Near the Grove, Near right? the Grove. And uh, 
one of his biggest problems was it was BLM Central, and you know he was going. He had a he had a pistol in his house, and he was realizing when the when the rioters came through his door, the pistol wouldn't be enough, and he had to go out and buy a rifle. And when you when you when you're at that level of having to buy a rifle because the pistol isn't enough in your own house, that's time to leave. And Magda had friends, by the way, who had a little baby and they were living very much in a similar sort of zone. And then at night, either the, either the helicopters trying to find the bad guys would be hovering over their house or there'd be BLM pro- protesters and rioters and looters going on downstairs from their or apartment. Or all those people baby, racing and their baby, cars. And their baby waking up continuously in the middle of the night that basically, that, and they left for that. And then the other people I'm thinking about, the couple who've just left with their children and they've gone to Austin, Texas, their reason, their, pro, their prime reason for leaving was their children, was the future of their children and the kind of schooling that was going to be available and the kind of people actually, their issue was the kind of people they were going to have to be spending far too much time with. Well, it was, yeah, the parents of their, of their children and the schooling, the schooling was, was just going to be... Uh, you know, they they knew what their children were going to learn, and that wasn't. Uh, they thought that wasn't should not be taught at school. It should be taught at home. Uh, and but I uh, think you should read. It's almost worth reading the whole article. We're not going to read the whole article to you. But what's really funny is they literally don't mention like law and order is mentioned, crime is mentioned in the second in a, last in paragraph. A, it's, so crime is mentioned in a sentence where there's like seven things. So it doesn't even get a sentence to itself. But climate change gets about six paragraphs. I'm not joking, by the way. Um, now, they're not going to leave immediately. If, as, if, you know, as this writer says, if I was 10 years younger, if my kids weren't settled at their schools and my wife wasn't tied to a job in California, I'd feel a lot differently. And wait to hear this. This is very depressing. For the people who are in Texas now, this is kind of depressing, I think, this paragraph. Texas now feels a lot like California did when I first moved here in the late 80s. A thriving, dynamic place where it doesn't take a lot to establish a good life. For many people, that's more than enough. And the reason I say it's depressing is, and it's a something, as, as I think Magda, when she came back, Magda went to Texas recently and she said that they have these bumper stickers on the back of cars and people in there in, on, on T-shirts saying, yeah. don't California my Texas. And that's actually a massive problem because that's what happened to Colorado. They Californiaed, they Californiaed Colorado. Um, they've kind of Californiaed Arizona. Um, if they California Texas, I don't know where there is left to go. I suppose they haven't California Florida yes. Well, well, they almost did. They almost got away with it. Actually, Florida was on the precipice. Florida used to be a 50-50 state. And then a couple of Republicans won in it. And it, it and then Trump got elected. And that I think that has made Florida very much uh, in the red in the red zone. Uh, but but they were almost they almost went the other way, you know. Yeah, it's an amazing, it, uh, but it's an amazing story. It's one of those kind of it's a typical New York Times story that tells a story that misses the story, like like completely misses the Deliberately, story. Deliberately, I think. And deli- well, de- on the on the crime thing, it's really appalling that they don't mention that they don't mention um, the crime situation here, which is really really awful. There has been again over this weekend, this past weekend, a ton of looting at high end stores where, and it's co- it's a coordinated thing where people drive up in cars, 10, 20 people, and go in and, and just not, lift. Uh, Lift everything. And you're not allowed to mention the fact that, uh, well, you know, and, and the cops mysteriously don't arrive for 15 or 20 minutes, but you're not never allowed to mention that this is a all carried out by young black men. And of course the cops don't want to arrive because the only way to stop these young black men, very fit young black men, is, is to cause, you know, injury to them. And then you have cops uh, on video facing at the end of their career or an assault charge. So cops arrive late, they go in, they steal, and and they know that if they take less than a thousand dollars worth of stuff, that they they won't get done for theft. And uh, and if they get caught, and then the cops won't come because it's just not worth it for them. So this this is and that's all California, the wonderful uh, state of California. But this guy doesn't mention that, and that's just. The big headline crimes. There's also all these petty crimes. It's just rampant, petty, quality of life crimes like stealing everything that that isn't nailed down because they won't be prosecuted. And also we've got these progressive bail laws now, so that if you do get prosecuted for something, you're out the same day. Uh, so this this just makes it un- unlivable for a lot of people, especially people with young families. So that, Mr. New York Times reporter, is why people are leaving California, not what you said. And I love Twitter for one reason, which is that you can come across extraordinary, extraordinarily interesting things because you can have Twitter friends who, and thousands of them, 
people you follow and and they report on things that are amazing and this story which isn't it isn't a new story but it's a new story to me and I thought it might be a new story to you and I thought it was really extraordinary what do you think was the greatest photograph ever taken in the 20th century um uh we're going to just show this now and uh, you know this is this is a this is a photograph in the night let me read this paragraph in the, in the 1950s, a photojournalist, Leonard Nielsen, set out to capture the earliest stages of existence. His fetus images seized the public imagination and sparked controversy. This is, this is from the, the Guardian, by the way, that's, that has raged ever since. Look well, why at would this. that be controversial? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, think we, I think we possibly know why it could become controversial. So this is an 18-week-old fetus. Look at this extraordinary photograph that this man took. And by the way, this photograph, and I'm going to put this up now, was also featured. It was featured on the front page of Life magazine. And if you remember, Phelan, after our book came out, after the Gosnell book came out and did so well in the first the first week that it came out sold out in all the places where it was available we got invited to the white house um to a reception which was really extraordinary with um vice president mike pence and mike pence and he invited other people involved in the pro-life movement and uh, when he made his speech he talked about the cover of the life magazine when that cover of the life magazine came out that he mm-hmm. gathered his family around him and said we're going to go to Washington to save the babies. <laughs> and that basically, that the, the I mean, I, I, you know, the way he certainly described it, it seems to me that that photograph completely changed his life trajectory. And I bet it did to an awful lot of people. So what was interesting was that the man who took that photograph was a Scandinavian. Mr. Nielsen. Mr. Nielsen. You know, he didn't actually sort of think about the photograph at all in any way politically. He just wanted to have, you know, he wanted to, ha- I had this idea of, taking these photographs, these extraordinary photographs that no one had ever managed to take before. I mean, one of the interesting things about the story is that he took a whole series of photographs and I think only in one case was the child actually alive. Um, he worked near an abortion clinic and some of, a lot of the photographs were, were, ch- were children who had been aborted or children. Uh, he worked with hospitals as well where there was um, children who'd been, who'd, been, um, who'd, been miscarried. Born, who'd been miscarried. But I think what's really amazing is that this is a baby at 18 weeks. Um, and one thing that was interesting recently that I was reading about, and I, sometimes, you know, you forget things um, that are really important. You know, people talk about how progressive Scandinavia is, you know, and it's very socialist and super, super progressive. Nowhere in the world has abortion laws like the United States of America, where you can have an abortion up to nine months. Um, also the United Kingdom, by the way, where you can have an abortion right up to the very end of pregnancy if the child has a cleft palate. We've mentioned this before, cleft palate, club foot or, or Down syndrome. syndrome. Um, really barbaric kind of uh, uh, laws. But the most barbaric laws probably anywhere are here in the United States, in Canada, China and uh, North Korea. It's kind of nice, uh, an extraordinary club to be a part of, really, you know. Yeah, when you look at these photographs, I just think... There is something extraordinary about this. The controversy that the Guardian referred to is, and I, I dug around a bit, and I didn't, I didn't get the answer to this, but I think we might see it just in a couple of factoids. So this man, I mean, I think the, the, what I get from reading this is that this man created these photographs in a very pure sense. He just was uh, like fascinated by the beginnings of life, by yeah. by the human form, by the, the, the journey of the child from, from conception to birth. He was just obsessed with that, and he actually has a number of books that became massive, massive bestsellers. And then his step-granddaughter, I think it was, I think his step-granddaughter, um, started to work with him. And, you know, they travelled around a bit, whatever, but they came, they came to discover that the pictures were being used politically. And so the pro-life movement, of course, described here in The Guardian as the anti-abortion movement, the pro-life movement did use these images and said, well, this is what it looks like. <laughs> this, is w- this is what you're planning to destroy in abortion. And they showed these pictures and they used these pictures, and, which resulted in him stop, uh, stopping allowing these photographs to be used yes. um, in anything other than in exhibitions. I just thought the photographs were extraordinary and I think maybe, you know, we need more of them actually and maybe somebody yeah. else should go along and no, take these photographs again. Clinics won't let you. Hospitals won't let you. you uh, know. I mean, that's the thing. I think he, it was 1965, he was probably up in Scandinavia somewhere, you know, and 
abortion was probably just accepted as normal and he was probably just treated as, as a photographer of interest uh hospitalist wouldn't hospital he, he he went there they would have probably have seen it as not controversial then yes and uh you know because it was just telling the until truth. they until they realized the import the of power it. The, the power the power of it yeah. and i think there is i think we should i think these photographs need to be you know um recreated or republished as much as possible because i think they're the strongest possible argument um against abortion certainly abortion um at that at that stage i mean look at that child at 18 weeks and people would consider that very early i've heard doctors by the way say that 18 weeks it's a blob doesn't look like much of a blob to me now no no, I have to say there, uh, and 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 these are. And by the way, for any of you watching this, look look this up, um, and look at the other photographs in the in the sequence that he that he created. So next on the show, Anne. Sorry, the two of us are a bit under the weather. By the way, we spent the weekend in Palm Pumps. Desert at a wedding. Yeah, and both of us have got some kind of an allergy since that, yeah. either that or COVID. Probably not COVID though, because That's I think apparently a runny nose is not a COVID thing, yes. right? Though Magnus says everything's COVID now. I, I think so. I think so. Anyway, I just wanted to talk with Josh Fox, who is the uh, director of Gasland, the Gasland documentary, and uh, has made a, um, a play slash movie called The Truth Has Changed. He's very concerned with the truth. Um, he just posted on Instagram over the weekend. It's clear to me that participating daily in mainstream capitalism warps your sense of truth. If you spend all day doing graphic design for, say, Live Nation's rewards program or ad copy for Exxon, and you think that's totally okay, you're probably lying to yourself in many other ways. Okay. Tough talk there, Josh. <laughs> Tough. I mean, that's you. Okay. You're the man. Then Josh Fox tweeted right, or he posted right after that. Time to go back to New Orleans right now, right now, and all the crabs and so it's or the crawfishing, right? So Josh Fox has a home. Did you know this? He has a home in New York. He has a home in Pennsylvania. That's where, nice. And he has a home in New Orleans. Lovely. So he must have done a bit of that capitalism then, did he? He must have done a bit of that capitalism. And you know what? He definitely does a bit of that flying. Oh, do you know what and I... And driving. Do you know what I want to add And here? using Exxon's products. Do you know what I want to add here is... And I wish I'd found... I, 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 funny, I captured it over the weekend and forgot. But Ibram X. Kendi, whose book sold a gazillion copies, mm-hmm. said something even more more succinct than this yes he says race capitalism makes racism racism makes capitalism mm-hmm. right guess how much he gets for a zoom zoom so sitting in his own home in the comfort of his own home how much does he get for a speech sitting at his own at his own computer ten thousand dollars incorrect Phelan McAleer go to the back of the class for an hour an hour zoom okay. twenty thousand dollars god bless us would you pay the man properly wow. at least right so do you know what I want his kind of uh, whatever it is. Whatever that is that's not capitalism. I like the sound of that. And by the way... I think we'd all like the sound of that. And by the way, why doesn't he charge a thousand? Like, why doesn't he charge five hundred dollars? Why doesn't he give all the money away to, to poor people? Well, I'm sure he does that now, Phelan. Now, I'm sure he does that. I am. Don't be even going there now. Don't be even thinking but, such d- a but thing. I just, I do like that. I do like these people who are anti-capitalist, who are really, really capitalist. I always tell you that example that I always drives me nuts of Julia, Julia Child. Child. So Julia Child, you know, of Julia Child, of um, The Art of French the Cooking, art. the book that sold whatever number, gazillion copies. And she started out by, you know, she worked, she met these two French women and she learned how to cook from them. But she also did go to the, to the, yeah. whatever, the, the whatever. And the she wrote was. the first book with a French woman, didn't she? She did write a first, but anyway, long story short, they made a film called Julie and Julia and about a woman who, a woman called Julia, who decided to read through the whole book and make every recipe from Julia Child's book in a year and it's kind of a funny story with Amy Amy Adams is in it but the the movie has all these anti-capitalist moments in it but then I started to get really interested in Julia Child. Julia Child spoke ill of her father for being, being a capitalist and then asked him for money. And she would while take she money married, when while she was, she was grown up and, grown married. Up and married to a diplomat living in France. She would be asking her evil dad to give her money to buy, an, to buy a nice coat. And the other thing that she did, which I thought was kind of extraordinary, and I still have to get someone to explain it to me. She became, she, she did a deal. Actually, there's two parts to this. She did a deal with Knopf, the famous uh, uh, publishing house, um, that has never been done by any. She did a deal for her book that no other writer has managed to get a similar deal since. The best deal ever made. So 
So she's pretty good at the old capitalism. And what she got was, and I'm not going to say the numbers because I'm going to get it wrong, but she got a percentage of the gross. No one gets a percentage of the gross in a publishing deal ever. But she got it way back in the day and became a gazillionaire, right? So she became a gazillionaire. She had a house in France. She sold the house in France. She threw the women that she had met there a little bit under the bus now in terms of her publishing. She moves back and lives in Montecito, as you'd all want to do, by the way. Lovely living in Montecito. Before before Megan was there? She has the husband and he starts to get old. And you know what she does? Instead of having round-the-clock nurses with her gazillions and gazillions of dollars, she puts them in a home. Yeah. So I just thought that was kind of an unusual thing. She came across to me as quite a cold-hearted type. Yes. But any of you who know better, f- write in and tell me that I'm wrong. But I've always been a bit annoyed with her, particularly for the way she spoke ill of her dad and took money off him. Yes. If you don't like your dad, don't be asking him for money. And if you think and if you think he's an evil capitalist, particularly don't be taking his money. Do you remember she 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 took him on a trip of Europe. You know her, her capitalist dad. Oh and, yeah. And. He was very into all he was interested in was how people were making a living. Oh yeah, fair but, enough. You know, it's actually very interesting. Like, what's the, what's the economy of this village we're driving through this town? It's fair enough. What are, how do they? You know, of course, he was fascinated with that. She just found that so so gauche, so pedestrian. Yes, yeah. That'd be like my mother. And then she asked be, for that'd, money. That'd, yeah, that'd be like often. my that'd be like my mother. My mother, you know, when you'd anytime you'd be watching the television and there'd be like a big castle or something, a really large house. My mother's thing always was the same. God, I wonder how they heat those rooms. And who cleans and the bathrooms? who cleans the bathrooms? That was the second one. The first one was, how would you heat that house? Which, by the way, is a really good point. And the second one was, who'd clean those bathrooms? You know, and like, these, are, um, these are the really important questions, by the way. Yes. You know, these are the imponderables that we're all working on. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be That's working on That's why we live them. in a really small house with very limited number of bathrooms. Which is a cold house. This house is very cold. Outside it's warm, but inside here it's very cold. But just again, just to summarise and to remind everyone, please, if you can, coming to the end of the year... Um, we are very dependent, by the way, on keeping the lights on here from the don- donations that you send. So if it was a good year for you, and I really hope it was, please do remember to give what you can to the unreportedstoriesociety.com. The projects we take on are very high dollar projects. So obviously beyond that, we still have to. But no ma- one else is doing them. Office. No one else is doing Nobody them. else is doing this. this Nobody is, else is doing anything like no one is. No one did the Gosnell movie. No one did the Gosnell book. No one did it as a true crime book and got it out to a true crime audience. No one's doing the Hunter Biden story. No one did the FBI lovebird story. No one, you know, made a laughing stock of Struck and Page. Uh, these are the things you do. These are entertaining, accessible. Um, very funny. I was at the wedding uh, in Palm Springs at the weekend, and I met a woman from Bosnia Herzegovina, and Banya Luka. Banya Luka, and she was very interested. And she says, "My son, who lives in Banya Luka, is a Republican. He's fast obsessed with American <laughs> politics, and he's a Republican." We're looking. Why are you? Why are you a Republican? She can't understand it, and he's going. It's because it's the truth, Mom. Right. So she then says, um, maybe he, maybe he's heard of you guys. And uh, I says, ask him, ask him, has he heard of FBI lovebirds? And she texted FBI lovebirds. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, he does that with his wife. <laughs> so this guy in Bosnia had heard of our work yeah, and has watched. See. He said, I watched it a year ago. So people, this, this work gets far and wide and people listen to it and like it and learn. And it's forever. And it's forever. So please give what you can on reportedstorysociety.com or mysonhunter.com. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye.